0: It's time for Around the Ozark Sports Scene with Scott Perrier. Now here's your host, Scott Perrier. Welcome to Around the Ozark Sports Scene. I am Scott Perrier. Appreciate you listening this week. Got a special uh, guest today we're going to get to in a minute. But as always, we uh, start our uh, podcast with an opening segment. Going to tweak the name of it a little bit now, I think, to a three things I'll be watching this weekend. Uh, doing that to kind of keep things more forward-thinking, because by the time a lot of you have listened, a lot of this stuff may be old news. So we'll kind of look ahead and take that approach to things. Number one, can the basketball Bears win on the road? Missouri State's off to a 7-3 and three overall start. They're 5-0 and 0 at Great Southern Bank Arena after a win over Sam Houston this past Saturday on Art Haines Day. At the arena, great uh, showing there for a, a legend and his continued battle back from West Nile virus. But uh, those same Bears are 0 and 3 on the road so far. Missouri State has a chance to change that on Saturday when they visit Tulsa. The Hurricane are 5 and 3 after a 15 point loss to a 3 and 5 Oklahoma State team. But Oklahoma State, or excuse me, but Tulsa is also 5 and 0 at home. This would be a good opportunity for Dana Ford's Bears to show they are capable of winning on an enemy floor. Thanks to watch number two, the Kansas City Chiefs game on Sunday at New England just took on a whole new meaning. Not only does Kansas City need to right the ship after consecutive losses have dropped them to 8-5 and five and now two games back of the Ravens for the AFC top seed and home field advantage, but the Broncos are 7-6 and six and closing fast in the AFC West after a horrible start to their season, which is their first under Sean Payton. It won't be an easy task for the Chiefs in the noon kickoff at Foxborough, this New England team was left for dead at 2-10, at, uh, and 10, but they rose up and won at Pittsburgh last week to show some signs of life as they try to save Bill Belichick's job. Those are words we never thought we'd utter, by the way. But we also never thought we'd see a Patrick Mahomes-guided Chiefs team on offense sputter like this either. Number three, the Lady Bears are 3-3 three and three after a double-digit loss at Mizzou last week, but they have a get-right game opportunity on Saturday and the next three weeks with a slew of home games when Wichita State pays a visit uh, on Saturday afternoon. The Shockers are 4-6, and but they're coming off a five-point home loss to someone named Houston Christian and a 20-point drubbing at home by Kansas last Sunday. For Missouri State and Coach Beth Cunningham, it's the start of a six-game homestand through the first weekend of January, including the Lady Bears Classic next week, when on Wednesday and Thursday they'll host BYU and Western Kentucky. Chance for the Lady Bears to get right again. Link Academy from down the road in Branson is off to a 9-2 and start, top five reg team nationally again in high school basketball, and on the heels of winning the Geico National Championship last April on ESPN, a season which they also won the prestigious Bass Pro Tournament Champions. Joining us uh, today for the podcast is second-year head coach of the Lions, Bill Armstrong. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Scott. Well, kind of give us a, a recap. I mean, you guys are off to a 9-2 start. um, are they ready to fire the coach yet with two losses this year or are you <laughs> I, gonna survive till the holidays?
1: I, yeah, I don't know about I think I'll survive through the holidays as long as we, we keep winning, you know. I don't know if uh what'll happen if we were to lose a third since that's never happened before <laughs> that'll be uncharted territory. But uh no, we we've played well, you know, we we our two losses are to the number one and number two team in the country. Uh we we beat the number eighteen by twenty five. I mean, if you look at it um, you know, they, I'm trying to encourage these guys. You know, they're kids and they get to see the same things and feel the same way. And oh, we've got more losses, but it's a completely different schedule this year with being in the in the uh, Nike Scholastic League. We've already played three top ten opponents and two more in the top twenty five. We didn't play a top twenty five opponent until Sunrise last year in January in the tournament of champions. So it's a completely different schedule uh, than it was in the past, uh, but Obviously, uh, you know, all the hard work we've put in, we, we want to win these games. So we, we lost a tough one to prolific, uh, beat us by a point and then, uh, you know, played on a great stage in a great environment. And, uh, you know, Montburg just made more plays. I wish that game would have had four more minutes. I think, uh, we could have, fin- we could have gotten them, but I was encouraged, uh, by the fourth quarter and, and how we played and that, and that watching the film just, how uh, the things that I know we can fix to where we're not down twenty three going into the fourth quarter next time. Uh, hopefully we'll play them in the in the City of Palms Championship on the twenty third. So uh, we, we're chomping at the bit to get another opportunity out.
0: And then maybe see them uh, by late March or April again too. Is that the best thing about the schedule plan. now and in year three? Of the program is that you're not going blind into the uh, the Geico National Championships. Uh, you're getting to see these people and actually have a chance to really prepare for them, having played them already.
1: That's right. You definitely will have played most of the teams that will be at Geico. Definitely will have seen them. And just, it prepares you for that. Obviously, uh, we were able to to make a great run the last two years, uh, winning it last year, but it's going to prepare us, uh, you know, both mentally and physically to, to be ready for Geico more so probably than the last two years just because of the competition. You know, I looked at it last year and we probably played 10 games. We're going into the game. It was, you know, the other team might have had a chance to, to win. Whereas this year we play of our 31, probably 20 of those. So that's good for us. You know, the guys want that. That's why they come here and, and to be on that stage every night is, is a very positive thing. Uh, and then it helps them to understand how it's going to be in college because when you get in college every night, uh, you got to be ready to play or, or the team face and you can, can certainly beat you.
0: I thought it was really cool that a couple weeks ago you guys made a trip to Springfield and played in the pit, <clears throat> excuse, excuse me, taking on Central there. Uh, how did that come about, and what were your impressions of, of the pit, the historic place?
1: Well, uh, first, how it came about, it, I don't know exactly, but um, I think Central did us a solid favor. We lost a game uh, two years ago, our first year. It needed an opponent, and they came and played us. Uh, and, and so, Adam and and the central administration worked out that we would return the game at some point and they asked us if we would return it to start their season and we gladly did and then getting up there the environment was uh you know it was second to none it was really cool i haven't i've never coached in a normal you know high school environment like that so that that was fun and uh the fans were great central played hard and, and played good i think they got a really good team we just happened to play really really well that night and uh, were able to to pull away but uh, it was a very fun environment and I think they got a really good team and, and look forward to following them the rest of the year.
0: Now my understanding is nobody back from last year's national championship team you had to start from scratch is that correct?
1: That is correct Aaron Rowe came back but ended up deciding you know in the end that it was best for him and his family to to go back and finish his high school career in, in Columbia um, so it would, technically now we have nobody that would have played in the National Championship correct.
0: And, and I, I know you've got three very high-profile kids. You've got a Texas commit and Trey Johnson – uh, Kansas commit LeBaron is it Phylon the last name Phylon that's correct and then Jalen Shelley who's going to Arkansas uh, who else anybody else that's signed so far or... yeah we
1: also have uh, James Brown signed with North Carolina T.O. Barrett signed with Missouri uh, then you know Jackson Ford signed with Sam Houston State he's a good player and then in the in the um, you know twenty twenty five class we have Jasper Johnson a uh, top ten kid I think he's ranked eighth in ESPN right now so uh you definitely got some some highly rated guys again some guys that are going on to play high major basketball and an and exciting team we just got to keep getting better
0: how do you handle the whole new world we have of agents and advisors and you know that trickling down to the high school level now and and uh, keep them from swarming your campus and your your games out at these special events what's the approach to <laughs> that
1: um, Scott, I think we could do a whole new podcast on that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we have time for all that. But, uh, you know, my approach has always been to just kind of guide the parents, lead on, lean on the parents, whatever. However they want me to handle it, that's how I'm going to handle it. You know, none of that bothers me. we talked about it before. Our practices are open to whoever wants to come. Uh, you know, I, I've gotten to know a lot of these agents and runners, and, uh so to me it's about having relationships with them when they're here then you can you can relay the proper information to the parents and then try to help guide them and then just take their their uh I guess guidance for lack of a better word on how you want to handle it and so that that's kind of my approach personally but everybody approaches it different and you know it is a different world And I think you have to embrace it that's the way I look at it you have to embrace it and uh try to you know have relationships with, with everybody each and every person and, and get to know each and every person involved and ultimately for me it's trying to do what's best for the kid and, and you know if people aren't on board with that then i i have a problem with it but otherwise if everybody involves trying to do what's best for the kid then um you know i don't have any problem with them being around
0: well it's obvious that when you go out there here in a few minutes for practice you look around and you just mentioned uh Six, you know, high level schools; these kids are are headed for, and and more to to come down the road. Do you ever look out there and go, is this is this a level that's almost equal to or better than what you saw in the SEC every day in practice?
1: Oh, certainly. You know, we've talked about that in the sense of could you know people make comments that just you know aren't true, but oh, uh, this team that team last year could have beat you know. I had a 500 record in the SEC, and we certainly could not have. We couldn't have won one game in the SEC last year. Now, if you take that same team and fast forward three years, now we might could have won the SEC. But um, so to answer your question, yeah, the t- as far as the talent level that, that we're getting to coach uh, each and every day is, you know, they're younger but very similar to what I was coaching every day in the SEC, if not better than what I was coaching in the SEC. Uh, if you you know fast forward their career three or four years ahead,
0: absolutely, and no question. I'd love to
1: coach. I'd love to coach both teams uh, in the SEC. Oh, no, uh, I bet. I bet.
0: I, I think we could certainly win. Um, no question. We've created a new level, uh, a super level of high school basketball with what's going on now with the likes of you guys, Montverde, Sunrise Christian. You know, the list is probably fifteen to twenty-five deep now of teams that can maybe win a national championship. How competitive is the recruiting for those elite players for you each year and, and and how do you get started? And is it harder than it was for you to recruit in the SEC?
1: Uh very similar, you know. That that's what people ask me often, you know, making that transition and really from a recruiting standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, it it's not a whole lot different. Um, the recruiting has gotten ultra-competitive. you got most of the top 50 to top 100 guys now looking to make this move, which is the right move. You know, I know some people are skeptic of it, but for the kids, if they can handle the commitment and, and, and the sacrifice, which it is a major sacrifice for both the kids and their families, uh, but if they want to be ahead of the game and give themselves an opportunity to make a career out of playing basketball – uh, you almost have to do it as a freshman going into college now. If you haven't done uh, a prep school year and and understand how everything operates, um, you're going to be behind coming on campus as a freshman. And now with the transfer portal, they're filling those holes with, you know, whereas those freshmen could come in from traditional high schools and get to be the eighth or ninth man uh, and, and then bring them along. The colleges bring them along. Nobody's doing that anymore. They're filling the holes of eighth and ninth men with you know low to mid major players who did well at that level and bringing them up to the SEC or the Big Twelve or you know the Power Five conferences and filling the holes with seniors. You know, so uh, if you don't go to a prep school now, um, you, your chances of playing as a freshman uh, are, are very, very thin.
0: Did winning a Geico National Championship open more doors for you this past spring and summer? Obviously, with You know, eleven or twelve spots to fill. You needed those doors open pretty quickly.
1: Certainly, and then, like I said, you know, uh, Rodney and his staff and then and his team set the uh, you know laid the foundation for us last year to be able to recruit the likes of Jacoby and Elliot and you know uh, Cam and well Cam was here, but uh, Cade Phillips and Corey Chess and all the guys that we had that helped us win the national championship last year. Uh, they laid that foundation and then we were able to build on it by winning the national championship. And then the more and more success you have, the more and more exposure you have for your program. Uh, you know, that certainly helps in recruiting and then certainly helped us this year with being able to get these guys to come.
0: Has it kind of taught you that this may be the norm for you? Because as I would think that, you know, it's awfully hard to convince a kid to give two years of his life or three years of his life to, to go away from home for, for that period of time. And, and do so much traveling and preparation. Is that kind of something that you're accepting now? And and how do you keep guys from being one and dones with, with Link?
1: To me, yeah. I mean, that that's kind of you got to go into it, you know, thinking that that's probably how it's going to be, um, just because it is so difficult for them to come and make that sacrifice for more than one year. Uh, I'm not saying that certain kids don't do it, uh, but it, it's really, really hard, and, and we're still trying to figure that out. You know, obviously we're a new program, and though we haven't been able to retain very many people over the last two years, so we're still working to kind of figure that out, but it, it's hard. I think you have to have a special group. Obviously, those guys at Bird came back for a second year, and uh, and they are a special group of kids, and now and they're playing right now, but, um, you know, I would say one out of every two that go – before their senior year are going to transfer back home or reclass up or, you know, whatever it may be to, to not come back. Not necessarily that they didn't want to come back, but to just go move forward with their career. So uh, that that's a difficult situation to navigate. But I think if you go into it, understand it, you're probably going to have to sign a new team every year that uh, you can prepare for that.
0: How fun and enjoyable is it for you to keep up with your alums, you know, especially with you in year two now and, you go home from practice, you turn on ESPN, and there's Elliot Cadeau for North Carolina or Jacoby Walter for Baylor. Is that kind of a, a particular thrill for you?
1: Yeah, I would say that's probably the most fulfilling feeling in the world, uh, getting to go and sit with my family who gets to know these kids and uh, looks up to them and, and has great relationships with them and, and watch them and pull for them. and. On that stage, yeah, it's an uh, extremely enjoyable experience and a fulfilling experience to see these guys. Uh, just to have been a, a small part of their journey and watch them, you know, continuing each day to to reach their goals and dreams, and uh, you know, it, it, it's nothing better in the world, Scott.
0: Mention those two, but kind of give us an update on some of the other guys from last year's champions: at uh, Cameron Carr and Kate Phillips at Tennessee, Jacob Cole at OU, Corey Chess at LSU. Kind of tell us what's going on with those guys.
1: Yep, um, Corey and and Jacob both redshirted. Uh, they talked with their with their coaches and and decided to redshirt before the season started. Uh, which again, I don't think is a is a bad thing for freshmen these days to to have an opportunity to practice and work out and get acclimated to the college life. Um, you know, without having the pressures of having to play and now having the pressures of their parents or whoever may be saying why are you not playing? I don't. I think that there's some positive things to redshirting these days, um, and then Cade and uh, Cam are both getting in here and there at Tennessee. Again, they they went to a team that's uh, you know got a lot of older guys and. Tennessee's a really really good team I know they took some losses early but they took loss close losses to great teams and I'd look for them to be back in the top 10 I'd look for them to be one of the teams that has a chance to make the final four and uh, they've both contributed so far and I think they as they continue to uh, learn the college game will you know you look up and they'll be playing probably more in February than they are right now
0: you touched on and, it at the...
1: uh, we had Ryan Forrest yeah. second in scoring at Northwest uh Northwestern State uh, in Louisiana. Uh, He's he's having a really good year. He got hurt um, a week or so ago, so he's he's a little hobbled. He's still trying to play, but before his injury, he's leading them in scoring at about seventeen a game. So he's having a good year.
0: Oh wow! And he was a Memphis commit early on, then switched uh, early summer, right? So okay, that's right. Yeah, you mentioned it at the top of the the podcast uh, a little bit there, but talk about this Eybl Scholastic Conference. Who's in it? What it is, and, and this is the first year of it, correct?
1: Correct, correct. Well, Nike has now partnered with the NIBC, and, and now you know they're basically running the what once was the NIBC. So you took those ten teams and added four teams: us, Veritas Prep, uh, Canyon International, and uh, Brewster. And so now we have 14 team league that um, is competing for a, for a Nike Scholastic League Championship. They've they've put a lot of time and effort to it. But if we went to the So right now Nike's done this event in Vegas, and they're doing another one at the end of the year where they're the the main uh, team con- or main people controlling the event themselves. Now they run the whole league, but. Uh it was an outstanding experience in Vegas. They had a what was called the Nocta Lounge. I guess Nocta is the Drake uh, brand of Nike, and our guys got all kind of gear, and they had cryogenic chambers set up. They had massage uh, chambers set up. They had all different kind of things for recovery. They had some, I mean, it was a, a really cool experience for the guys. Uh We got to play in T-Mobile Arena. We got to go to an NBA game. So Nike's really doing it right, and... uh so then, from that fourteen teams, you play twelve of the of the thirteen teams. Uh, each team doesn't play one team. We don't play Lavalier this year. We'll play all the other twelve, and then there'll be a standings and uh, you know a champion at the end, and you know probably the top four or five teams will get to go to Geico.
0: And I believe there were NBA scouts allowed in at that uh, Vegas event, correct?
1: Yeah, that so the first game was at T Mobile, I think there was over twenty NBA Scouts and then uh, the second event was really nice as well. The second day was really nice as well. It was held at the ACES facility, uh, which was a beautiful facility right next door to the Raiders football facility. I mean they got those facilities out there now in Vegas are incredible and for our guys to get to experience that, uh, you know, that that's why you do it, to to give those guys those experiences and uh, they, they'll have those memories that they'll never, ever forget. So we, we played in the Ace facility the next day and uh, got to experience all that. And the scouts, I think there was 15 or so there that day.
0: Well, speaking of experiences, you guys are headed to the Bahamas this weekend. Uh, Bill, I, I've seen you. I hope you've stocked up on sunscreen for that trip. Uh, <laughs> no kind
1: doubt. Of a- I don't know how much time I'll be spending in the sun, but uh, my daughters, I'm sure, will get to hit the beach, and hopefully the guys will get to spend a little time uh, experiencing the beach.
0: Absolutely. Well, we were blessed last year with a chance to watch uh, your team in the Tournament of Champions. I know that'll be another thing down the road, an invite for you guys for sure. What, uh, what other local opportunities are there in the second half of the year? I, I think, do you have a couple home games maybe in February and March?
1: Yeah, in into February and, and early March we're gonna have three games, three local games, uh maybe one at home, a couple at one at Hollister, and then we're still looking for another local high school to kinda do an event. So and we may add a game uh here and there. We have some some uh you know, four weeks off that we could add a local game. So we're looking into all those opportunities so that we can continue to build our fan base and continue to let uh you know, the people of Missouri have an opportunity to watch us play.
0: Very good. Well, Bill, happy holidays to you and your family. Good luck, and we'll be pulling for you throughout the winter.
1: I appreciate it, Scott. Great
0: talking to you, man. You too. Time for our weekly Scott's Thoughts, my takes and ramblings on certain things in the local, regional, and national sports world. And we start with the Shohei Otani $700 million contract he signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers covering 10 years. The 10 years after he quits playing, uh, that is, because the Dodgers and Otani have figured out how to backload this with uh, deferred money, so he will literally earn $2 million a year over the next 10 years, with $680 million coming after that the following 10 years. This is really a stroke of genius for whomever came up with the idea, and, and most indications are it was Otani himself. It allows L.A. to secure the best player in baseball while also having the financial room to go out and continue to surround him with good players and have a a chance to win some uh, world championships there. The top of the order for the Dodgers now with Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and Otani may be one of the best in baseball history. I will say $700 million for any player in any sport seems a little ridiculous, especially for a two-way player who can't pitch again until 2025, Due to the arm surgery he's coming off of. And again, who knows how he'll come back from that as well. But I do know this if the Chiefs had thought of this a few years ago when they paid Patrick Mahomes, he might have some better receivers to throw to now. Speaking of the Chiefs, the post game whining about the officiating after the loss to the Bills Sunday by Mahomes and Andy Reid was not a good look. Uh, yes, you know, it was a call that doesn't get called very often when Kadarius Toney lined up off sides. But then again, we're asking a guy to line up on sides. It's not a, not a hard task and a hard ask there. But just uh, wasn't a good look, and America noticed. National perception is now the Chiefs have benefited from more calls going their way over the years than those they've been stung by. This would have been a better opportunity now looking back, and I'm sure both guys probably agree, from Holmes and Reed to do what they normally do, take the high road, take the yell, and move on. Because we know this about NFL officiating. It's pretty horrible every week, and what comes around goes around, so there will no doubt be another call in Kansas City's favor, at least if they'll stop complaining about it publicly. Finally, Missouri State University's announcement of adding stunt and acrobatics-slash-tumbling teams to their NCAA competitive programs is a great opportunity for young girls throughout the Ozarks and Midwest who have come up with cheerleading and or gymnastics backgrounds. But also, most importantly, it also pulls back the curtain a bit on how Title IX affects college programs, scholarships, and roster sizes. After these additions, get this, 13 of Missouri State's 19 NCAA competing athletic programs will be in women's sports, 13 of 19. This happens because Missouri State has to offset the large number of scholarships they give in football, a male sport, with up to a dozen here and there in other women's sports to try to get the numbers balanced for Title IX reasons. But they also, because the number of total athletes on rosters, has to more closely mimic the university's male-female composition of enrollment. Uh, That's another Title IX requirement. And at last check, Missouri State's student body was about 60% female and 40% male. It's a pretty good ratio if you're a male and you're looking for a future wife, I might add. It's a numbers game many aren't aware of, but it also is why the likes of MSU baseball coach Keith Gutton and his Bears have to play with a roster cap 30 players or so for years while the big-time teams they're trying to beat and compete with may have another eight to ten players on that roster which if you know in baseball that can be a big advantage if your pitching takes injuries and gets hit you know you've got bodies to fill in those slots adding more women's sports and athletes may help baseball and other men's sports in this regard at the same time be creating more space for some male athletes on rosters too by the way you're welcome for that math lesson today be sure to go online and enter to win in the Midwest family and the AroundTheOzarks.com 12 Days of Christmas giveaways. Got great prizes like gift cards from great area restaurants like Jim's Steakhouse, Civil Kitchen, Fazoli's, Village Inn. Or you could take home prizes like tickets to the Springfield Symphony and Alamo Draft House, or the Grand Prize, a signed jersey by former Kansas City Chiefs standout Dwayne Bowe. It's the 12 Days of Christmas with Around the Ozarks. Enter for your chance to win by visiting AroundTheOzarks.com or the Midwest Family Radio site. That's going to do it for this edition of Around the Ozarks Sports Scene. I'm Scott Perrier, and I thank you for listening. See you next week.